Hello, welcome to another episode of Known. I am your host, Mandy McDonald, and today's guest is Holly Christine Hayes. That name is probably familiar to many of you. She now has her own podcast, and she also is the founder of The Sanctuary Project, which is an amazing jewelry company who employs and empowers women who are being rescued from trafficking and drug abuse and all sorts of things in life. But before we get into that, I just want to say thank you to all of my listeners for supporting the show and all of the ways that you do. If you are following me and have wondered why you're not seeing the known podcast handle on Instagram and Facebook, I've changed everything to Mandy McDonald, so you can find Mandy McDonald, Mandy with two E's, on Instagram and Facebook, and of course my website, mandymcd.com. Interact with me and my guests so we know what you're enjoying and what you're getting out of these stories. I know you've got to be getting a lot from these guests of mine. So when Holly and I finished this conversation, she was like, wow, I said a lot of things that I've never shared before. And we talked about so many things that I wasn't expecting us to talk about. So I'm very excited to share it with you. There was something that she said that just really stuck out to me. You'll hear it in her story where she says that she felt known by her trafficker. In a horrible situation, she felt known. Don't we all look in the wrong places for fulfilling those needs that we have, like the need of feeling known? We look in the wrong places for that. We look in the wrong places for feeling loved. We look in the wrong places for feeling fulfilled. I can just so relate. Our stories may be very different, but they're not. It's all the same looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Holly Christine Hayes. Well, my name is Holly Christine Hayes, and I am founder and CEO of Sanctuary Project. We're a survivor-run nonprofit that employs women coming out of trafficking, violence, and addiction. Um, I live in Austin, Texas with my husband and our daughter, our one-year-old, almost two-year-old daughter, Havana, and um, 10 goats, three cows, and I think right now, 24 chickens. We just we just had five more chickens born to the, the Hayes homestead this last <laughs> week. Um, so a wife, a mom, a business owner, um, and a lover of Jesus. And farmer, it sounds like. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest, my husband does most of the farming. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Well, I mean, he just, he just brought a bale of hay out actually. So I have this view right now of him driving. He has to like take alfalfa over to the animals in a different part of the pasture. And then he drives the hay bale over. So my view right now is pretty hilarious because the animals are getting all excited about a bale of hay that's being driven out. <laughs> I don't know how this happened to my life. <laughs> How did I get here? God always has plans we never would have imagined, doesn't he? Yeah, very true. Well, I'm excited you're here. Um, I have heard heard you talk about parts of your story, and I am just so encouraged by um, what God has done in your life, but how you have allowed him to do it. Um, It's just a very inspiring story. So with that being said, tell us your story. Well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home at all. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. Both my parents were professors. So there was a lot of focus on intellect and um, education and um, probably a bit of a worship of achievement. 
and I um, and took I took on those things as as my worldview from a really young age. Um, there was also some chaos in my childhood. There was some sexual abuse I suffered, and um, and then there was a divorce in our home uh, during my early teenage years. Mm-hmm. And so the combination of that unresolved trauma and that um, that sort of breakdown of my family unit led to a um, an addiction for me in my young teenage years. So I started drinking and using drugs at the age of 14 and by 15 was, was using those things daily to really cope with some of the pain I was experiencing and didn't really know I was using it to cope. Um, you know, I thought I was just having a good time and I thought I was a normal high school student and going to the normal parties and doing all the things the other kids were doing. Um, but I just did them to an extreme and, uh, and I really took on that lifestyle as an identity. So much of my childhood, I had no identity. I didn't know who I was. Um, and, and so when I discovered drugs and alcohol and I discovered that I could be like the party girl yeah. and that, um, and that everyone wanted that girl around and that, um, you know, that was like a fun thing to be and, oh, Holly's life of the party and, oh, Holly's always down for anything. And so I really took that on as an identity from, from those early years years. Um, that progressed really quickly for me from being this fun sort of party girl lifestyle to really a lot of destruction. So by the time I was 16, I had um, actually dropped out of high school Mm -hmm. because the drinking and drug use had gotten so extreme. And, um, by the time I was 18, I was getting arrested all the time. Mm -hmm. I had started selling drugs and then, um, ultimately had a run-in with the law that, made me too scared to continue selling drugs. And so, um, I, uh, I started working as a, um, as a stripper, as an exotic dancer, and I'd always been a dancer and had a friend who, who did it and told me I could make so much money and that it would be really fun and that it would actually be me taking my sexuality back in my own hands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I had been really promiscuous up to that point because I was drunk all the time, basically. And, um, and I had this sexual trauma from a young age that was unresolved. And so I really thought that my sexuality was my only value Mm -hmm. and yet I had seen it taken advantage of a lot. And so when this was presented to me as this empowering thing, like, oh, you can be a dancer and you can get money for your sexuality. It actually felt like a step up from the life I had been living. That was just, um, you know, indiscriminate promiscuity. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I, I, I thought maybe this would help me feel better about myself. Um, it didn't, yeah. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> I actually pretty quickly felt really disgusting. And so I kept getting drunk and high and not showing up for, uh, for, for the job and, um, ended up getting fired from the strip club after only a few months of working there. And, um, and so the, the drinking and drug use progressed and I had already sort of failed at my, um, at, you know, at my plan to be a drug dealer and failed at my plan to be a stripper and really was starting to worry about my life and my future. Mm-hmm. I met my trafficker at a party when I was 19 years old and he saw me from across the room and I think he saw right into my soul. I mean, he knew mm-hmm. that I had all the things he was looking for. I was leading with my sexuality. I was clearly, um, you know, high and drunk. I had, um, you know, insecurity that I was wearing like a very tight garment. Um, and so I think he, um, I think he knew that I was going to be the perfect woman for him. And I spotted him from across the room and he was so cool and charming and charismatic Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, really, uh, like 
the type of man I thought was perfect for me. You know, it was clear that he had been a bad boy, you know, it was like, and then as soon as we started talking, it was like, oh yeah. Um, you know, I'm just coming back from, he was just coming out of teen challenge, you know, and he was like, (laughs) just coming out of teen challenge. I was like, what's that? And he was like, drug rehab. I was like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's hot. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was definitely a match made in hell. And yeah. um <laughs> and we um very quickly fell in love. And you know, I um I did feel loved, I did feel seen, I felt known, mm-hmm. I felt understood. Um, you know, and it was really one of the first times in my life that I felt like I'd had this connection with someone. Um, the relationship became violent really early on and very quickly. And, um, and very quickly I realized he had other women. And so that was devastating for me because it was like, okay, I'm, I'm in love for the first time and feel like I have this incredible connection, but he still has all these other women. And, and, Mm. and then I just wanted to be the best one. I wanted to be the one he liked the most. I wanted to be his favorite. Um, and so that was setting up a dynamic right there too, of like, I was going to do anything to make this man happy. So when he started suggesting that he could help me out by selling me to other men, I actually thought, wow, he thinks I'm so valuable that men would pay for me. Gosh. I mean, isn't that crazy? My, my sense of like, yeah, like my sense of self-worth and value was so low at that point that that someone saying, I'd like to sell you to other men felt like, wow, he really values me. (laughs) He really thinks I'm special. And you know, what's so weird too, is I think that there was this this innate thing in me that felt like my sexuality, my being, um, my womanhood, girlhood really at that point in my life is valuable. Mm -hmm. And, and so him suggesting that men would pay for it almost hit on that truth that like, I am valuable Mm -hmm. and it, and, and for so long I'd been discarded and used and, um, you know, and used and then discarded. and, And like, I just had this, message that was put in me that said, you are not valuable. Your sexuality is not valuable. You as a human being are not valuable. And so, so him saying men will pay for you just felt like a step up and, um, and it rang true. It felt true in my spirit that I was valuable. Um, so he, uh, he started lining up jobs for me and I very quickly realized that I was even more uncomfortable with that than I was the stripping. And I, um, and so again, I, I just kept getting drunk and high and not showing up for the jobs he was lining up for me. And, uh, at that point he ended up kicking me out Mm -hmm. and I, um, and I ended up homeless. And so at the age of 21, I was homeless and had been abandoned by basically everyone in my life, including my trafficker. I was addicted. I was lost. I was suicidal. I was um, just a shell of the person I had been growing up. And, you know, I was this, like, I was a good student. I was, I was smart. I was, I was talented. Like I had so much going for me at one Mm -hmm. point in my life and so much potential. And I sort of knew that. And, you know, and there I was like, just a, just a shred of that person left at the age of 21. And so on February 10th of 2001, I was on the floor of a public bathroom and I was crying and just watching my tears hit the floor and three words fell out of my mouth. I said, God help me. And I had never believed in God, had no experience with God, um, didn't know any God people, Hmm. but, but that was at the end of my 
rope, like all I could think to cry out. Um, and that very night I ended up meeting someone who got me into a recovery program and I've been sober since that day. Um, that was February 11th of 2001. And I, um, got, uh, ended up finding a home very quickly, found a group of girls who was willing to let me live with them and, um, got my first job and, and, uh, got away from that man and have been safe and sober since that day, uh, which was 20 years ago in February. Uh, so in that moment, basically I was just gifted with this whole new life and, mm-hmm. um, all by this God that I never knew or believed in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that when you just said that, this God you never knew or believed in, like, I think as Christians, we often get in our minds that we have to do something for him. We have to please him in some way before he will do something for us. Like it's a trade-off. And yeah. I just think that is such a huge sign that that's not true. Like he, you had, I'm sorry to say this to your face, but you hadn't done anything, right? <laughs> you know, like you, <laughs> exactly. yeah, I mean, and I hadn't either, you know, I'm not saying that out of judgment, but I, I just think that's beautiful that he, he was there before you even really wanted him to be. I think it's such a good point too, because we have these ideas that we have to have the right theology, that we have to um, that we have to say the right words, profess faith in Christ in the right way. Um, you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's what Scripture says, yeah. right? But what do we what do we do about the fact that I was a wretched sinner on the floor of a public bathroom and cried out to God and was saved? Yeah. Um, and I didn't, it wasn't even in the name of Jesus. It wasn't, I didn't, I didn't have any right theology. Um, if anything, I, uh, I, I said it and then immediately was like, what, what did I just say? I take it back. Um, I don't know. Universe save me. I don't know. Yoga Other save nature. me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anything, it probably should have been Satan save me. Right. I was, I, I would joke at that time in my life. I would joke, like, I don't like, I have no interest in going to heaven. I, I definitely want to go to hell. All my friends will be there. Or I would say things like, well, well, why would I want to be in heaven? Hell's where the party's at. I mean, when I saw street corner evangelists, that's literally what I would say out loud and, and think and believe. And, um, and I wasn't alone, you know, I mean, the entire crew of people I was hanging out with at that time in my life were like, if there's a heaven and hell, I definitely want to be in the hell place because, I don't want anything to do with those, those Christian goody goodies who would be in the heaven place. And, you know, I think that's, it's in some ways a misconception that Christians have about people who don't know Jesus or don't know God, that everyone would of course want to be in heaven and, and want to be with God. But, but the problem with that is like, God is holy. And so if you are living a life and have surrendered to a life that is the opposite of holy, why would you want to be in the presence of a holy God for all of eternity? And I think we know that mm-hmm. and, um, and feel that when we're living in, uh, in such intense separation from God. And so it's not like I would have consciously said, like, I worship Satan, but everything about my life said I did, right? Yeah. Um, and even I would even confess with my mouth that I would rather be with Satan because that's where the party was, yeah. that I would rather be with Satan because that's where all my friends were. Um, you know, I mean, that's literally what I would say. And so, so to be, and, you know, and then I was on the front lines for the enemy for so, I mean, I was, you know, getting people to do drugs for the first time and taking men's virginity and like yeah. laughing about it. And, you know, I mean, so much of my 
life was so truly evil. You know, the way I lived was so truly evil. And so for this very holy God to come in and rescue me in that, like living a life of pure evil to come in and rescue me in that moment, it just rocks all theology, right? I mean, it, it kind of, it, it rocks everything we think we know about God's mercy and, um, and who it's extended to. And I'm grateful for that because I think it helps me today in the work I do, um, you know, today working with other women who are coming out of the gates of hell, I, I am able to extend that same mercy and believe like, it doesn't matter that, that, you are, this is where you are right now, because I know a God who can rescue you from that point mm-hmm. and is in, in many ways indiscriminate in who he will rescue and how. Yes. yes. And I think what you just said, like, well, backing up to what you said earlier about, like, we think we have to be at a certain point to be saved, but I think he's always in the process of saving every single one of us. Yeah. And, and what he's waiting on is for us to say, okay, <laughs> I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not because we've done anything. It's because that's who he is. He's constantly trying to save us. And but for the grace of God, that your life could have been mine. Like I was right, the party girl. And like, anyone listening, yeah. Yes, anybody. Yeah. And and I think part of the reason I'm so passionate about sharing stories and sharing my own story, you know, telling people, look what God does <laughs> with things that seem so detestable to you. Like there's a reason drugs and sex and money are addictive because they're attractive. They're fun. Yeah. Like those Yeah, they're fun until they totally destroy your life. Exactly. And that's how (laughs) Satan like Satan is smart enough. That's how he works. Like I'm gonna get you with this stuff that you are gonna like and you are gonna want. And anybody who tried it would probably want it. Yeah. You know, those things are when you're when you're in the middle of those things, when you're entrenched in that lifestyle, you're right. Those people here are like, but heaven, where you bow down and worship God all the time is what you really want. And it's like, no, that doesn't like, sound fun. No, thank you, please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important for people to hear who haven't lived any other kind of lifestyle but Christianity, like good for them. I wish I could say the same about my own life. Yeah. But it's important for those people to understand what the the Jesus you're selling is not the complete Jesus. He's not mm-hmm. you're you're not telling people the whole picture and and just telling people like he's holy and and he is enough is true but that's not what somebody who's having fun doing the things they shouldn't be doing needs to hear. So I love I love that our conversation went in that direction because that was such a good I think Yeah. I think that people forget that he's also a rescuer and, and the, um, you know, the, the theology that gets presented sometimes to the off to the outside world. I always laugh at the billboards. My husband and I see when we're like driving, when we're on a road trip and it's like, Jesus died for you. And I laugh at that because I'm like, I mean, I don't laugh at Jesus dying for me because now I richly understand that theology today. But that is very detailed, in-depth theology that you have to understand the Mosaic law and the sacrificial system and the penalties for sin and how he was the lamb that was perfect, that died for us. Like it is a very complex theological idea that you're putting on a billboard and it's not good news. Yeah. To someone who doesn't understand the the complex theology behind mm-hmm. it. You know, I mean, I think like if I were to create a billboard, it would be like, Jesus can heal your broken heart. Mm-hmm. 
like Jesus can get you out of that bind you're in right now, <laughs> whatever yeah. that thing is. That's like, because when you're separate from God, what you don't know you're missing is that healer and that redeemer and that rescuer. And you know, the, the, the lifestyle that we're talking about where it's like, yeah, it's fun in the beginning. It's, it, it spirals pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, sex is fun. But wait a minute. I just got my heart broken because yeah. my body connected with someone on this, this soul level. And I don't understand that, but somehow I feel heartbroken and rejected. Jesus can heal that broken heart or, you know, these drugs that created this high. And it's like, wow, I felt out of my head for the first time. And I actually felt like I could be present and look at how beautiful beautiful the trees are and enjoy a conversation with a friend, like Jesus can get you out of your head. Mm -hmm. You know, if we, if we understood what Satan was actually offering as the alternative, he's not out there going like, Hey, you can burn in hell for all eternity. Right. He's saying, Hey, I have an escape for that, that pain that's happening in your head or, Hey, you want to feel loved here's sex and you can use it however you want it to, to make yourself feel loved. Mm -hmm. And you know, he's, he's out there selling this worldly pleasure in a way that's very real and visceral and it's, and it works for a time. And so when, when you have Satan offering this, these worldly pleasures, we as Christ followers actually need to understand what's being offered there and what we're offering in exchange for it. Yeah. And if we fully understand like where that sin leads, like, yes, all sin leads to death, but like, where does that specific sin lead? Where do drugs lead? Well, drugs lead to chaos in your life and there's going to be anxiety anxiety in that chaos. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to lead to this feeling of instability. Well, here's a, here's an alternative. You could have the mind of Christ. There could actually be peace in your life. You could have serenity in your soul. You, you have access to this God who can be a bringer of peace. Mm -hmm. And if sex is leading to this heartbreak in your life, well, here's the one who can heal that broken heart. And here's the one who can actually make you feel loved when the world would give you all of these worldly things to make you feel loved, this is one that can actually be a lover of your soul and make your soul feel loved. Mm -hmm. And so I think if we really understood like the, the offer that's on the table from the enemy, yeah. like we could better, we actually could better evangelize because we're, we're sharing some of the tenants that, that we love as committed Christ followers, like Jesus dying on the cross for us, um, that the blood of Jesus covers our sin. Um, even, even really Jesus loves us. Like Jesus loves you like that. That is impossible theology to wrap your mind around when you don't even know who he is. Right. Yeah. And when you don't really know what love is. Right. Like and when love are foreign. Right. And when love is something that's just like happened for a night and then broken your heart, it's not good news that Jesus loves you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so he's going to abandon me too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, cool. I know what that, I know what love feels like. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. It's fun for a while and then it lets you down. Right. Right. So how can we like actually present a better option? Like how do we present this better Jesus? That's like, this is one that actually, if you cry out to him, will rescue you. Mm -hmm. And this is one that, that actually cares for humanity and that created you with destiny, with purpose. Um, you know, I think the things that rang true for me was that I, um, you know, that I had inherent value, like we were talking about. Yeah. And so if I remember um, hearing for the first time when I came to Christ that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, mm -hmm. and it's such a cliche yeah. in some ways in the Christian world today, it's like, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, fearfully, and wonderfully made, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Let's make a like Instagram page about it, you know? Right. But when I heard it for the first time, I'm telling you like, 
it changed my life. Hmm. It had never occurred to me that God actually made me and made me correctly that I wasn't, that I wasn't almost just right. That I wasn't like, Oh, I could be maybe right. If I, if these 10 things were different about me, no, he actually crafted me as a human perfectly that he had intention and in the ways he designed me when he knit my nose and my ears and my fingers and my legs, he was, he was delighting in it. Mm-hmm. And that I was this, I was God's great idea that he had one day. <laughs> he was like, Oh, what if I made one just like this? And it had this, these features and these character traits and I'll put it in this city and I'll make it know these people. And then I'll let these things happen even in its life because I'm going to use it in this way. And it totally blew my mind Mm -hmm. to hear it for the first time. And so I think when we, if we can back up and, 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 and ask ourselves, like, what are those tenants that absolutely healed our hearts and blew our minds when we first learned about them? And how can we present those to a world that doesn't know Jesus? How can we be telling a world that doesn't know Jesus? You're fearfully and wonderfully made, right? God actually made you perfect. You are not wrong and bad. Mm-hmm. You were not, you were not made wrong. Like you actually, your, your core being was created by God and you are good. When he created man, he said, it is very good. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think like, if we can, if we can present those sorts of tenants, like how different would evangelism look and how different would our world look instead of kind of presenting this, these tenants of like, you need to stop sinning, be better. Don't do drugs. Don't do abortion. Don't do homosexuality. Don't do. Right. Right. And, and, and if you're somebody who's done any of those things, you're like, well, I'm out. Yeah. I'm disqualified. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to somebody who's in the middle of it, it sounds like don't be who you are. Don't be you. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be yourself. (laughs) Yourself, but don't be yourself. Yeah, that's and also don't do anything that would make you feel better or that you enjoy or that feels honest for you. Because, you know, for me, um, you know, part of like I really felt like uh, I enjoyed sex, you know, and I enjoyed this lifestyle that I led. Of, um, I, you know, if you had asked me, I would have been like, I love sex, I love being promiscuous, I love my sexuality. And this is, this is, you know, how I'm created and this is who I am. And, um, and I still feel that today, you know, I mean, I love that within the context of my marriage today. Um, but, but I think like, you know, the, when I saw the world and the Christianity that was presented where it was like, don't do that, be pure, be a virgin until you're married, don't do sex. Sex is bad. When I saw that, I was like, well, that doesn't like, so you're, what you're presenting sounds like awful and sucky. Like you're taking away things that are good that I really enjoy about life. Mm And, um, and saying that, that the way I'm built to be sexual is wrong and bad. Um, and so that's not good news either. Right. Right, right. It all just felt like this is not good news. Yeah. Yeah. I think that as a whole, not all Christians, but as a whole, Christianity presents a lot of no fun, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> rules, a lot of what you can't do, but we don't present what you get to do. Um, we don't present yeah. like this thing that you love, sex, is even better. Like, yeah. Like we don't present those things because we just can't talk about sex because some people do it bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We don't present the the good side of those things. Oh, I yeah. Or the, or the hope we have 
or the hope we have access to and, um, and the redemption we have access to and the healer we have access to, mm-hmm. you know, when I, when I stepped into sexual purity, when I came to Christ, um, I didn't do it out of a rules thing. Like I wasn't, you know, I'd already messed up. I'd already broken the rules. Right. <laughs> um, but, but when I, when I, when I came to Christ and I, um, and I started kind of being discipled and, and entered the church and, um, and learned that, uh, and learned about sexual purity and learned about why sex is reserved for marriage. And I, it felt like this wonderful, holy invitation into something so, so sweet and redemptive. And I started to imagine this life where it was like, what if I didn't have sex? What if I didn't offer that as, um, as something in my dating life? What if, what if when I'm in a dating relationship, this person has to get to know me and value me and actually make a decision and a commitment to me before they get that. And it started to become this like wonderful prospect of like, wow, like no one's saying I can't ever have sex again. No one's saying, no one's even saying like, you're going to go to hell if you do that. Really? You know what they were saying was there's an invitation into this whole other way of life where you actually could heal some of the brokenheartedness you've had from, from years of just giving your sexuality away. So freely, there's actually an opportunity to heal that. And there's an opportunity to find out what your real value is in relationships and to find a man who will love you for that value Mm -hmm. and, um, and to push away every man who won't, I mean, and then to find that one that loves you so much, they're willing to buy you a big old diamond ring and walk (laughs) down the aisle and, you know, and, and marry you just to get you in bed. Like that sounds great. (laughs) Yeah. It's a pretty good deal. So speaking of all that, (laughs) you don't have to give us the intimate details, but Tell us what life is like now, 20 years later. I mean, that's a lot of ground to cover, but what does that look like now? Yeah. You know, I, um, today I have the honor of seeing how my story is just, um, being used again and again to bring hope and healing to so many. And, um, and I get to work with other women coming out of trafficking, violence, and addiction through sanctuary project and be, um, that, uh, that voice I would want, I I would want Christianity to be for Mm -hmm. me, you know, um, to be that good news in their lives and, um, and to walk with women through whatever their, their sin struggles are and have been and, um, and help them find that redemptive picture and story for themselves. And so, um, it's the greatest honor of my life. And, you know, and then on top of that, we get to make beautiful things. Um, we have a jewelry line where, um, that just got picked up by target.com, which is so exciting. that. That is awesome. Yeah. It's really great. Um, and so we get to make beautiful things together all day long. And I think that act of making beautiful things in the natural all day long is reflected and reflective of what we're doing spiritually and emotionally all day long too, that, mm-hmm. um, that we're taking these pieces of our lives and putting them together into really a beautiful thing, a piece mm-hmm. of art. And, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a loving marriage today. Um, I, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't always like him. Let's be real. Like we have, <laughs> we're not perfect. Yeah. Um, but I, but, but we love each other deeply and there's so much respect and, um, and he has so much, he just, he, he treats my story with such care, which has been really special. Um, there was something I opened up to him about even last night that I was, um, processing and counseling and, 
he just handles my my life and my past with such care and such honor mm-hmm. and i think that's the thing i i I never knew I needed that God has given me in this man. Um, he's gentle and he's kind and, uh, and, and that's so, so sweet. Yeah. Um, and, and we did wait until our wedding night to have sex. And it's so funny. I was so nervous. Oh my gosh, Mandy, I was so nervous. I made him drink a whole bottle of champagne because I was so <laughs> nervous and like, I don't drink, right. I'm sober. And so right. I was like, okay, like how can you have like a glass of champagne? Cause we, we got <laughs> married and I w- we were living in Paris, France at the time. And we went Hello. to went to a beautiful chateau and, um, and they had like this bottle of champagne in the room. And, um, and I was like, okay, can you just have a glass? Can you just have another glass? Can you have one more glass? I mean, I was so nervous. I was, he hadn't seen, never seen me naked, you know? And so I was so nervous to, to be seen, um, to be naked in front of this man for the first time. And, um, and then to give my body to someone for the first time in many, 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 many years (laughs) at that point, (laughs) because it was many, many years before my husband came along. Um, we got married when I was 36. So, um, it took a long time to find that man that was right for me. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, um, I, I was definitely more nervous than he was. Um, and it was amazing because I, I really did feel like, um, I felt this is cheesy, but I did feel like a virgin. I did feel like I had, you know, um, it, it, the Lord had restored that to Mm -hmm. me and it was not in some like right, wrong, obedient, disobedient way. It was in a gift way. It was like, here is, here is a holy redeemed sexuality that you now get to give to and enjoy with this husband that I've given you who, um, who will treasure it and care Mm -hmm. for it and, um, and, and who is worthy of it. And, um, and so that, that's just the sweetest thing. Um, we have a daughter today, our little Mm -hmm. daughter, Havana is almost two years old and gosh, it's such a joy to be a mom. Oh my goodness. I never imagined and never dreamed that I would get to be a mom. And, and, um, and so it's just, that feels like such a sweet, redemption as well to get to, um, to get to care for another little human, this precious thing, this precious yeah. gift God has given us to, to steward. And she's so cute. <laughs> she's so cute, right? <laughs> she's so cute. Her hair fits in piggy tails now. And it's oh. like the best thing that ever happened to me is her little <laughs> piggy tails. <laughs> yeah. God did not give me a little girl. I have four stepdaughters, but the only child that I have birthed myself is a boy. And because he knew I would lose my mind and we would be poor if I had a little girl. Because like every little bow and headband and little ruffle and everything. Mandy, that I-, I just bought 80 bows on Amazon yesterday. <laughs> I bought 80. I, it, was a, it was a pack of 40 grow-grain bows. And oh, I, I was like, well, we need two of each color because piggy tails. So I bought 80 bows. And they were $11.99. So I was like, we can buy two because like, you know, it's $12, $24 for 80 bows. I mean, that's a deal. That's right? a deal. I you had to do it. You couldn't. Yeah. So, it would probably be a sin not to. I, it probably, I mean, <laughs> yes, but I am also, I'm, I'm vastly attempting to put us in the poor house with my purchases. It's so funny what I will spend on clothes for her. I mean, I would never spend that on clothes for myself, you know, and then yes. she outgrows them like in two months and I'm, I'm learning. I'm trying to, yeah. I'm trying to cut yeah. back on it, but oh, it's just so precious. And oh, yeah. in some ways it just feels like I'm, I am just so blown away that I got here. I'm just so yeah. amazed at the life I get to have today that if I spend too much, much money, 
on clothes for this little person that God gave me. Oh, well, because mm-hmm. I will pour it all out for the, for the gift he's given me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I just, I really love your story so much because like I said, it totally could have been me. Totally mm. could have been me. I was headed in that direction for sure. I did grow up in a Christian home. I grew up going to Catholic school actually. Um, so I was surrounded by believers and surrounded by the word. And still those other things are real attractive. I had just enough insecurity that, and Satan knew it and just yeah. used it. And I think if I, as a teenager, and I think we're roughly the same age, if I had heard a story like yours as a teenager, then I think I would have stopped that lifestyle sooner. Like to hear mm-hmm. restoration as possible. Because at that point, at you know, 18 years old, 20 years old in college, I was just like, well, I've already blown it. Yeah, you think you've messed up your Christian life, right? Yeah, I can't fix this. I've, yeah. God does not want me back. I, yeah. And I didn't ever stop believing in him. I just didn't think that he wanted me anymore because I had blown right. it so badly. And I think hearing like the story of your wedding night, that is precious. <laughs> I mean, that's funny that you made him drink a bottle of champagne. But it's also like... <laughs> and he didn't get oh. drunk until after we were done having sex too. Like. <laughs> Like it didn't hit him. Like he drank it all, and then like we, you know, consummated our marriage, and then and then afterward, it it all hit him, and he was like stumbling around drunk, and we had to and we had to go to bed. It was hilarious. <laughs> but I love that that what you said that he's that Jesus could restore it for you. Like, are you still biologically a virgin after that? Or can you go back to biologically being a virgin? No. But can your heart be repaired so that on your wedding night, when you've waited all this time to give this gift to your husband, can it feel like you are giving him this gift for the first time? Yes. Like, well, and I'll tell you what, I mean, my body felt it too. It was crazy. I mean, uh, you know, literally even not, (laughs) I mean, maybe this is too graphic, but, um, but my body actually had like done a restoration too. I'm following. So (laughs) to, to the point that um, that it, uh, I, it was, um, it was uncomfortable, you know, um, it, it, I felt the discomfort of that first time again. Um, I mean, it had been a lot of years, right. And so my body had, had actually sort of restored itself in some ways to that state, Mm -hmm. um, which is crazy, right. I mean, that's, that's crazy that it, it hurt. Like it hurt. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like a 36 year old virgin basically <laughs> on my wedding night. Did um, that shock you? Were you like, yeah. what? <laughs> yes. I, it was, it was incredibly shocking. I mean, all of it was my, because I think in some ways, you know, there's this, there's almost an idol made of, of marriage and sex in the church. Mm-hmm. And, and so for so many years, it was like, I have honored my sexuality and my sexual being and been like, I'm a very sexual person and my husband is going to get it. As soon as I find a (laughs) husband, he is going to get so laid. Um, (laughs) And so, so when I was actually presented with it, all of a sudden I was like, wait, like, where's this like bold woman who's like, I'm going to give it to him so hard, you know, like all of a sudden I was like, okay, I don't know what I, I don't know how to do this anymore. And like, I don't know. Like, I don't, yeah. I mean, it's so funny. I, I was definitely surprised. I thought I'd be able to just like jump back in. Turn it and, right back on. Yeah. Yeah. And be that person. But I think so much of 
what I had thought was like being a sexually driven person was actually me trying to perform and please men, Mm -hmm. um, to get some sort of validation. And I don't think it was actually very honest for me in retrospect. Like I think, um, that I am sexual and I do have desire and, and those things, but like, but I was actually restored to a healthy level of desire as well, because at at one point I was, I was completely addicted to sex Mm -hmm. and had, and was desiring it all the time because my body was having it all the time. And I was using it for currency. I was using it for, um, for yeah, power, love, even survival. Right. I mean, when I was homeless, I would go out to the bars and, um, and I would order a water, a sparkling water with lime in it, um, which was free. And and I would sit there at the bar and wait until someone asked what I was drinking. And then I would say it was a tonic, a, a vodka tonic. Um, and then get a man to buy me drinks all night and then go home with him. So I had a place to sleep. Mm. And so I was using men for survival. I was using sex for survival. I was using sex for um, that sort of dopamine hit of feeling better about myself in a moment. I was using it as a drug. I was, um, yeah. And I was using it for power, like you said. And so there was so much manipulation in it for me that it was difficult to actually separate it and say, how much of this is me desiring um, a, a sexual act with a partner and how much of this is me trying to get out of my head or trying to get something or, and so being restored in that season of, um, of sexual purity to this sort of right size desire that I didn't know was happening. It was kind of surprising when I entered my marriage and I wasn't like, you know, on top of him every moment of right. every day. Yeah. Sex was totally a tool for power. And I think that the world tells us like an empowered woman is free to explore her sexuality. Yeah. And like it's it's told to us like it is good for you to feel powerful with sexuality. And it's yeah. like this tool to manipulate men basically to either yeah. you know, have a place to stay or to feel loved or to feel like they can't take advantage of me because I'm using sex to control them. Like it's so convoluted and, and wrong. And then after like I made the decision, no, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I am waiting until I'm married. And I was 29 um, when my husband and I got married and I thought the same thing, like, woo, (laughs) lucky him. And then it was like, Oh wait, it's not as, it's important still, but it's not as important as I thought it was. Like there's so much more to a relationship that it kind of isn't as important anymore. Or it's important for different reasons, right? Like it's like, it's something that I use in my marriage today to make him feel seen, loved, Mm -hmm. um, for us to feel connected to each other. Um, and like, we are one flesh yeah. and this is, and this is a special thing. Um, it's, there's like, it, it's weird. Cause it's like, there's zero me trying to get something yeah. in, in it today. And so when, and it's funny how little I want it when there's nothing where <laughs> it's not me trying to get yes. something It's like, Oh, I should probably do sex to him. It's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> how long has it been? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Love you here. But here look at all is. these cute bows I bought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look at this person I made. Are you out there? <laughs> you know how much you like her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk a little bit more about your business. But I have this thought. Anytime that I talk to somebody who has recovered from addiction and is 
now in business or um, someone who has been trafficked and is now using business to recover or to help other people recover. Um, I see, and I'm still trying to figure out exactly what my thought is, so this might sound very rambly, but I think people who are successful, I'm using air quotes, in things like dealing drugs or working in the sex industry, um, it's because they have business skills. Like they are natural business people. And I think that if we recognize the good in people, no matter what they're doing with that good, even if they're doing bad things with that good, then that makes it so much easier for them to to switch and to find some, some way to use their skills and their natural talents in business to to live a good life. And that's kind of what you're doing with Sage. Absolutely. And I literally say this all the time. Um, I, I teach in the jail. And when I go into the jail, I say this to the, the ladies there all the time. You are entrepreneurs. Yeah. All of you in here, you're entrepreneurial. You're smart. You're strategic. You see opportunity. You understand margins. And I will specifically call them out and be like, like who's who in here has sold drugs? You're, you're a business owner who in here has sold sex. You know how to hustle. You're a salesperson. You're a marketing person because if you, I mean, I remember when I started working as a stripper, I was literally taught how to sell, like how to hustle. Right. And it was like, here's what you need to do. Like match their energy, you know, find, find that person who's making eye contact with you. That's an opening, go in, um, you know, engage with them, make them feel seen, make them feel acknowledged. And like, when I later got my first job out, like when I got sober and came out of this life and I got my first job, it was in sales. And I was so good at it because I knew how to connect with a person who was interested in the product and then to connect with them, make them feel trust, make them feel connected and then offer the opportunity. (laughs) And rather than a lap dance, this was an integrated T one line product. That was a voiceover (laughs) IP data product in telecom, but you know, it was like lap dance, it sales, like, you know, I mean, it's all the same thing. And, and the same thing is so true about, um, about drug dealing. I mean, what I understood from, from when I started selling drugs, I was 18 and I, um, and I had friends who were drug dealers and they were all guys and they were all druggies and they were so bad at responding to people. I mean, this was like, they were so bad at like getting back to you when you needed drugs. And I was like, if someone could just sell drugs and just have like this much customer service and just (laughs) respond and like respond, even if you don't have anything, like if you're like, if you just respond and say like, sorry, I'm out, like, don't have any right now, like just respond, just respond, you know, like customer service. (laughs) And, (laughs) and when I started to realize like, okay, I'm seeing, I am seeing the, the failures in the people that are doing this work. They're using all their product. They're not responding. Um, and then I saw margins and then I was like, so I had, um, I was working for this acting, uh, I was going to this acting conservatory and working for this theater company, um, in like three hours away from my hometown. And we couldn't get any drugs down there. Cause it was sort of, it was like on the central coast in California. Um, I'm from San Francisco area. And this was like on the central coast of California. There were no big cities around. It was just really hard to get drugs, but I, I could get drugs from my hometown because I knew all the drug dealers. Right. Yeah. And so I started realizing like, 
like, wow, they're willing to pay a lot more money for drugs here because they can't get them. And so if I drive up to my hometown and buy drugs there, I can come (laughs) back down and sell them for a massive markup. So I'm already getting my wholesale discount, but then I'm getting a premium because of supply and demand here. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm an 18 year old, right? And I see supply and demand. I see customer service. I see margins. I see whole bulk discount. I see, um, and then I see, okay, well, if I can be, if I can become that like reliable source, then I have return business. And so I saw all of this as an 18 year old and built this beautiful drug dealing business very quickly and very effortlessly uh, because I, because like you said, I had this entrepreneurial spirit Mm -hmm. that was in me. That was God given. I was using it for evil. But as soon as God redeemed it, it was like so clear to me that this, that this could be used for good. And so that's what I say to the girls in the jail all the time is you have skills, you have God-given gifts. Um, You've just been using them for evil. And, you know, and that's what got you here. And you can take those same gifts and those same skills and apply them to a context where something is legal and you're going to thrive. You're going to kill it at life. And and that's what I get to see today with, with so many of the women who work for us. I mean, it's incredible just to see, um, they're creative, they're smart, they're strategic. Um, they, um, they're skeptical and, and that can be really helpful, right? Like having a skeptical discerning eye on the business is really helpful. And so we have survivors in every single aspect of the business, running the business with me. Um, we don't just have survivors making jewelry. We have survivors managing shipping, our program director, our our production manager, our operations director, our creative director, um, you know, every single aspect of the business is run by a survivor. And what's so cool about that is that they're bringing all of that entrepreneurial energy that they have used in the past for evil, right. And bringing it to the table to use it for good. It's just incredible to see. That's amazing. That is amazing. We will definitely link to Sanctuary Project in the show notes, but tell us what, what are we going to see when we click that link? What are we going to find? So we're primarily a jewelry brand and, um, and the best way to support us is really to shop our products. Um, you know, we, we are also a nonprofit and, and we have partners who support us monthly. You can sponsor a survivor and come alongside us and and give monthly. But what I love about when someone purchases a piece of jewelry from us is that you're not just, um, you're not just giving aid to a survivor. You're Mm -hmm. actually giving a survivor a job to do. Mm -hmm. They're going to sit down and make that necklace and package that necklace and ship that necklace. And there's someone managing every aspect of that production process. And so, um, so as the business has grown, you know, when we first started, we really did lean on being a nonprofit and and leaned on a lot of community and financial support. But as we've grown, I'm really asking people more and more to shop because when you shop, you, you actually are doing something very real in these women's lives. You're not just giving money. You're not just giving aid. You're giving a job Mm -hmm. and then you're getting something in return that you can wear and you can talk about us. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I hope, I hope you shop and, and I hope you find something you love that you're able to wear all the time. The product line is really different than a lot of social enterprises or, or give back brands. Um, one of the things that frustrated me in that industry was that everything had a certain look and it was very beaded and feathered and had just like a sort of more bohemian look or a yeah. more um, handmade look. Um, 
my style has always been a bit girlier, a little more refined. I like um, trendier pieces and um, daintier pieces and more golds and silvers and and things like that. So, um, so the product line is um, is really made to to be something that's on trend and something mm-hmm. that you'll love and wear every day. And and there's something for any woman's style there. So, um, so go go shop and and find something you love so you can talk about sanctuary project, talk mm-hmm. about trafficking, and talk about ultimately God's redemptive work. Yeah. Well, you have given people a lot to think about and talk about in this conversation, and I really appreciate it. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you, but I've also yeah. um, learned a lot and and been challenged a lot to think through some things that I was already thinking. So I appreciate that. Well, I appreciate it too. It's just been a joy to talk with you. Well, thank you. I do have one more question that I ask everyone. Ooh, I can't wait to hear your answer. Okay, so because of your story, what do you know about God? That He is far more merciful than anyone could know or imagine. Mm-hmm. I I never would have guessed that this God could love someone like me, and not just someone like me, you know, all cleaned up and showing up in a church building, but someone like me in the depths of their mess and their sin on the floor of a bathroom, drunk, high, hungover, kicked out by the trafficker, um, still looking for love in all the wrong places. And, and that he would love me in that, mm-hmm. um, not despite that, not, um, once I got out of that, but that he would love me in it. And that's what I see again and again in our God, in our Jesus is that he loves us in our sin. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think w- leaning into that mercy can be absolutely life-changing. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. Well, thank you, Holly. Thank you, Mandy. You heard me tell Holly that I wish I had heard a story like hers as a young woman, and maybe I did, and I just wasn't ready to hear it. But I'm pretty sure that we all know young women who need to hear that there's no road you can go down where you are too far gone from God. He is always pursuing us, and there is always redemption available. And if Holly's story doesn't illustrate that for you, I don't know what will. I just so much appreciate her story, her willingness to talk about hard things, her example of throwing off shame and proclaiming what Jesus has done in her life. If you have not seen the jewelry available from the Sanctuary Project, first of all, you can go to Target.com, which is a huge accomplishment for Holly and her company, and see some beautiful jewelry there. And of course, I will link to the Sanctuary Project and all of the ways that you can find and follow Holly there. I feel like all of the stories that are shared on this podcast are worthy of being shared further, but this story just hits a little different. And I encourage you to share this story with all of the young women that you know, whether you believe they're headed down a path like Holly's or not, that encouragement is just so important. All of the young women I know graduating from high school and college right now come to mind. They're about to head into a very different world than what they've been in their entire lives. And just hearing the dangers that are out there, but also the hope of Jesus always being there needs to be a seed planted within them. So again, thank you for listening. If you're not already following me on social media, you can find Mandy McDonald, Mandy with two E's on Facebook, Instagram, and now Twitter. Still figuring out the Twitter 
I'm over 40. I should probably call it the Twitter, right? And of course, my website, mandymcd.com, where you can find links to all of the things. And I've been blogging a lot lately, so you can find all of that there. And of course, if you ever have any questions or stories that you'd like to hear or a story that you'd like to share yourself, please find me in any of those places and let me know. So as I always do, I leave you with this blessing from John 17. Jesus prays for all believers. And I am reading from The Voice. I am not asking solely for their benefit. This prayer is also for all the believers who will follow them and hear them speak. Father, may they all be one as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us. For by this unity, the world will believe that you sent me. All the glory you have given to me, I pass on to them. May that glory unify them and make them one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be refined so that all will know you sent me and you love them in the same way you love me.